this is FYI, a series of podcasts featuring the biggest challenges in marketing and advertising telling their stories. These are honest and open conversations and will break down the barriers as to the who, the why, the what and the how of best-in-class marketeers from a variety of different sectors. Each week we'll be profiling a different person, learning about their journey and having a bit of fun along the way. This week's podcast guest is Simon Bristow, PR, marketing and creative consultant based in Nottingham. Simon has an amazing CV to his name, working in PR agencies such as Pitch and Mischief, bragging clients such as Mitre, Paddy Power, Southampton Football Club and the FA. He then went on to work in his dream job as global PR director for Adidas and then got to follow his boyhood dream working as head of marketing at Nottingham Forest Football Club. Simon is a PR and marketing extraordinaire. He's a born challenger, constantly sacrificing his comfort zone for bigger and better tasks, and he also happens to be a great friend. We'll be going on the journey from his first job in PR in London all the way through to today. My name is Chris Gunn, co-founder and managing director of Love Gun, and this is FYI with Simon Bristow. Simon Bristow, thank you very much for joining me. How are you? Very well, thank you. Yeah, keeping keeping well and keeping busy. Good news. That's what we like to hear. So with each of these, we open up with a bit of an icebreaker, just some quick fire questions to uh, to get us going. So to start off, Spider-Man or Batman? It has to be Batman because his uh, house in the film is Wollerton Hall, which is in Nottingham. Nice. Uh, uh, the start of the, the Nottingham conversation, I'm sure. Uh, Twitter or TikTok? Probably just Twitter. Just, okay. What would you rather be without, elbows or knees? Uh, well, seeing as I've only got one knee that really works properly. <laughs> I've kept to right with, any, with, with one very dodgy <laughs> knee. So I could live without knees. Nice. Um, travel to the past or travel to the future? Uh, past, because the past can help shape the future. Ooh, deep. Uh, would you rather only eat pizza for one year or eat no pizza for one year? No pizza. Of course. England win the World Cup or Forest win a third European Cup? Forest every day. <laughs> uh, nickname? You got a nickname? Uh, just Bristow. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just, I'll, yeah, I'll back that. Uh, what would be your last meal? Uh, oh, good question. Um, oh, a really good like burger, I think. Nice. Uh, What's going yeah. on the burger? Uh, cheese, jalapenos, mm. uh, bit of bit of lettuce, but um, not too much salad in there. But yeah, <laughs> just a really good, authentic burger would be brilliant. Good choice, strong choice. Uh, and then finally, last podcast you listened to that you could recommend, other than this one, of course. Oh well, yeah, obviously this one first. Um, I am um, a big fan of. Uh, obviously, some uh, Nottingham Forest podcasts. So, um, the Reservoir Red Dogs is well worth a listen if you're a Forest fan or indeed a football fan. Um, and then I've really been getting into um, You're Dead to Me, um, which is a Radio 4 um, podcast series that looks at historical people and events done in a very comical way, usually with a comedian um, as part of the panel and then an expert in, in that area as well. I, I really enjoy that, so I would recommend it. Nice, interesting. I'll check check them out. Cool. So that was your quick fire. All a bit, you know, crazy. Um, cool. So obviously delighted that you've come on. Uh, come on, FYI. Obviously, 
We have known each other for many years now, as you could probably tell already. For um, Bristow is a big Forest fan, as am I. But we're not going to we're going to try our best not to talk about Nottingham Forest, okay? Um, but Bristow has had a uh, amazing career thus far, and obviously you're you're only at the beginning still. But um, yeah, just keen to talk about your journey, what you've done along the way. Obviously, um, a, a PR journey all along the way. Would you say PR from the off? Uh, certainly. Um... PR was my uh, my upbringing, um, kind of diversifying out a little bit now. But I was I was one of those um, strange um, people that actually wanted to work in PR. Mm. Lots of um, people that I've worked with down the years seem to have fallen into it, having done something else at university and then kind of discovered it was a thing because a friend was doing it or um, they were recommended. It might be something good for them. But yeah, I went to university to do communication studies degree with the view of going into and working in PR mm. um, and managed to, to do that um, pretty quickly after graduating and um, first job was for an agency based just outside Birmingham and wasn't the most exciting client list ever mostly working for like house builders and and very trade focused type yeah um, businesses but it was during my time there that I I found out that sports PR was a thing that existed. Yeah. Uh, and that obviously instantly became my focus in life was to work in sports PR and, um, yeah, took myself down to London and went around loads and loads of different agencies um, and eventually uh, got, got an offer to, to go and work with an agency called Pitch um, nice. in London. And uh, my first client there was, was my turn. And so literally was the dream for someone who's grown up being a massive football fan and, and playing football my first proper sports client was actual footballs. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's great. I had six amazing years at pitch, got to do so many cool and interesting things. It was a time where like every 12 or 18 months, something new and exciting came along. So it kept me there and kept me excited. Um, I guess the highlights there would, would have to be um, working on London 2012 Olympic and Paralympic Games. Yeah. Um, to run the ticketing campaign for both of those events wow. um, which was just the most amazing um, event to work on and um, really opened my eyes out from just football being the thing to work on and you know actually the, the world of other sports and how exciting everything was. Absolutely I think you know when you look back now 2012 obviously feels like a lifetime of, uh, ago and I, I'd uh, I just moved up to London and it was my first job and I just the the vibe around London was amazing it must have been super super cool to have been involved in that directly so was was the Olympics a client of yours how were you involved? Yeah so um, Pitch was uh, then sister agency to a, a much bigger consumer agency called Freud's um, which people probably will be aware of, and certainly Matthew Freud and the family that they'll be aware of. Yeah. Um, and Freud's won the, the brief from uh, LOCOG, which is the organising committee, to uh, look after the ticketing campaign, um, the um, torch relay and the volunteer programme, um, which became the Games Makers. Um, and the uh, well, one, one of the reasons that they won that pitch was... Um, in terms of the tickety campaign where you needed some real sports specialism and Freud's were able to bring pitch on board um, and help execute that. So yeah, for about two and a half years, um, I, I was kind of yeah, 
part pitch, part Freud team that was running the, the ticketing campaign um, for both the Olympics and the Paralympics. Um, it was the first time in history that uh, an organising committee had sold tickets for a Paralympic Games. Wow. Um, it was a challenge because usually they'd just been given away to school kids, people thinking it was a lesser sporting spectacle. Um, but actually, as well as selling out the Olympic Games tickets, we managed to sell out the Paralympic Games tickets and probably change the, the way that the country um, viewed Paralympians and Paralympic Games forever. Wow, yeah, amazing. And the in terms of the, I suppose, in, involvement from your from your side, were you you were dedicated to that purely across the what what was it two month period? Uh, for the the games themselves, yeah, I was um, well, longer than that. I was seconded into Lowcock's comms team from about um, May time, from memory, mm. um, through until the end of the Paralympics. And so, yeah, based on the Olympic Park. Um, for the vast majority of that and uh, actually working shifts as well it was a, the, the comms team was a 24-hour operation during games time so yeah night shifts on the olympic park was a slightly surreal wow, experience yeah. but on the whole just yeah the most incredible few weeks what was the highlight um I mean, it's, it's difficult to say i mean just being there like every day you hear stories of you know people going you know, once or twice and saying how brilliant it was. But it was literally my office. It was you, know, you, you get to um, Stratford Station and walk through Westfield and then walk into the park and you know, be a buzz of people and events going on everywhere. And just being there was just you know, the most in- incredible thing. I remember um, me, the, the team, we joked one day that um, someone had seen a little kid who'd like thrown a tantrum because he was about to leave and he was on the, the floor like screaming and crying saying he, he didn't want to go and we all felt like that every single day it's like we just didn't want to leave or the experience to be over because it was yeah so brilliant wow must have been so special being so directly involved as well and then and then i suppose from your time at pitch you moved on to mischief was that because the olympic games was over and you needed a new challenge you needed the, the only way was you know it wasn't going to get much better than that yeah, I think I, I just mentioned that when I was at pitch, every 12 to 18 months, something new and exciting came, came along, which kept me there. Um, but that thing didn't come along um, after London 2012. And um, I was approached, called by, approached by a guy called Mitch Kay, who uh, now runs an agency called The Academy. But at the time, he, he was the CEO of Mischief. Um, and he came to me and was like, we want to we set up a sports team division and we want to do it a little bit differently. We want to like take sports out of sports media and sports pages and broaden it out, which at the time um, was something a bit new. But you look at the, the way that sports PR is done now, pretty much none of it is actually aimed at the sports pages. Mm. Um, and it was just a really interesting opportunity. And um, Mitch was a you know, really great guy to work with and put a lot of faith in me to, to help set things up and, um, was was great to go and work at somewhere that, that thought differently and more broadly and and broadened my skill set out into kind of thinking a bit more consumer wise than just straight sports fans. Um, so yeah, you know, again, uh, two and a half, three great years there where we grew the the division from nothing to working with seven or eight different clients, having the FA as uh, on a retainer for various different projects, Southampton Football Club, Paddy Power, Booper Healthcare, 
um, again, just like really interesting clients and some great work. Wow. Yeah, sounds great as well. So in terms of, so you you obviously went in there and you, you created a whole department pretty much. What what What's that like? That must have been quite daunting. <laughs> yeah, um, we, had a, we had a starting point that uh, Mischief had just won the FA. Um, which I had actually pitched for with pitch, so that went down well. Um, <laughs> and we had a starting point in terms of one client. Um, obviously, within the team of people there, there was probably about forty when I joined. There was a lot of excitement of like, "Wow, we're going to get to work with the FA," and lots of people clamouring to to be on that account. Um, and so we, yeah, we were able to hand pick a, a, a team of people to 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 start the process. Um, and the work that we did for the FA allowed us to to approach um, other people, and also meant that that um, businesses and um, sports clubs and teams and leagues and etc. were coming to us as well, saying that we've seen the work you've been doing. It's quite interesting to us. We'd we'd love to have a chat, or we'd love you to to pitch for a, a brief that we've got. So it kind of organically grew very quickly. Um, to you know, a handful of clients, and then within that, we either you know we were able to recruit people into the team that had a bit of a sports specialism, or you know, it was always hands going up around the agency with like, yeah, I'd love to work on that. Can I think yeah. certainly the FA stuff was quite often seen as the sexy account in in the building, um, yeah. which um, yeah, perhaps people wouldn't think um, the FA was that exciting and sexy, but. It, you know, it certainly proved it, it felt like uh, the team that were working on that were, were doing the fun stuff every week yeah, going absolutely. to Wembley FA Cup finals um, you know, we took the FA Cup trophy to Antarctica that was uh, quite a moment as <laughs> you, well you went yourself and uh, now uh, we weren't allowed to go we I was going to say let it go with an, an expert um, but there was a great photo which I'm sure people can find on the internet of the FA Cup on the snow plains of Antarctica, surrounded by penguins. Nice. Cool. Wow, that's like I suppose that campaign itself sounds like uh, you know you you were you know you were appointed for being challengers, I suppose. In terms of you know you you mentioned the likes of Paddy Power, who you know if you if you say to anyone based in marketing, PR, advertising, you say, who are the challenger brand? I'm pretty sure most people say Paddy Power. Southampton to an extent as well through their social content and, you know, every year the kit reveals are all a bit um, all a bit out there um, and their social media presence. But I suppose as you as you touched on, the FA, not so much. What what were the key campaigns that you worked on either with the, F, the FA or, you know, either of those two examples that were the, the challenger campaigns where you're doing things a, a bit differently, I suppose, especially when it came to PR? Yeah, well, um, the, the, the start of the brief with the FA was um, celebrating their 150th anniversary. And they had come at it from a perspective of, we need to use this opportunity to broaden, um, certainly the, 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 the people that engage with the, the Football Association, but then also broaden the understanding of what the organisation does. So, and, you know, back then it was certainly getting a lot of criticism for you know, being poorly run or England team failures, which was largely, I think, misconceptions. And so that's why we did this education process around a large part of what the FA does is um, grassroots football. Uh, the organisation is not for profit. So all those people saying, oh, typical FA, just making money to go in their back pocket. Well, that's not the case because mm. it, it all goes out of the organisation 
and to support grassroots football at the time it was um you know huge amount of work and and financial support going into growing the women's game which has come on leaps and bounds since since 2012 um and so and then you know the brief grew out from there as we proved ourselves and just started to work on the fa cup um and actually creating proper campaigns around the fa cup which again back then the perception was that it lost its magic so how do we, we reignite that um and i think you know through the work that we did and also you know, the fa themselves that certainly come back and it feels like a more important competition now um and then you know there was briefs around grassroots football there was briefs around england teams um, we we helped support what they did out in uh, rio uh, for the brazil world cup um briefs around um, women's football and helping to yeah the, grow the popularity of the game there and i think what they saw was mischief could really help um take the women's game into kind of consumer and lifestyle press outside of the sports pages where it might just get a nib because sports pages would always focus on Premier League football. So, uh, you know, some, some really good work that has been grown on since, certainly since I departed and, um, you know, hats off to the FA. I think they've done a fantastic job in, in recent years of uh, moving the organisations forward. Um, on Saints and Paddy Power, actually, Saints, we, were the, we did their first innovative kit launch <laughs> uh, so again it was um it was not a pitch um, it was a connection that the agency had with um a guy that was working with saints i think he's now their ceo actually um and he was like yeah, we want to do something a bit different everyone's just doing the same old thing now and um you know it's, it's hats off to them the thing with the best clients is they've got to be brave enough to take on the ideas yeah and saints were just up for it from from day one um and again i um, would encourage people to go and search for barry gale the color psychologist and the videos that we did to, to launch saints's kit um you know just it's the kind of thing that i think 95 percent, if not 99 percent of football clubs would say absolutely not we can't do that but mm. saints did it um very brave uh, and it worked. Yeah, you know, it, it got like incredible coverage and engagement, even back in 2015 before social was as big as it is today. But uh, sales-wise as well, I think it was 20 or 30 percent increase on sales wow. for that kit by doing something innovative and stood out and was a bit different. And you know, we did one or two um, during my time at Mischief. We did a couple more after that one. Um, and you know, again, hats off to Saints for continuing it on. Um, and you know, year in year out, their kit launch wins mainstream marketing awards. Mm. Which for a football club launching a kit that um, is pretty much the same style, red and white stripes, every single year. Um, yeah, again, it's, it's incredible work, and just goes to show why finding the right agency to work with and being brave and taking their ideas on can pay dividends. Um, and yeah, Paddy Power probably everyone's dream client um, because there just is nothing off the table it was always a brilliant brainstorming process um, but what they did really well as a, as a client was have a roster of agencies that the brief would go to and so you knew you had to create brilliant work to mm. get to do the work yeah every, every time you were pitching for it um and it was just it's just fun for once not having to sit in a brainstorm and get oh you can't do that because 
um, just yeah, being really brave and bold and brash. And um, I think probably the most famous piece of work that we did for them while I was at Mischief was the Nigel Farage uh, Ryder Cup campaign, where we spent the day on the golf course with Nigel. Um, what a pleasure. Was, I hate to say it, it was actually a, a complete pro and, and <laughs> his <laughs> lines very wittily and um, yeah, did, did a fantastic job on the day and again the campaign was was brilliant um, on major awards and lots of them so in terms of those challenger campaigns like the Nigel Farage like the you know the Saints kit launches are the is the is the priority just to to make noise to be be seen as being a challenger or obviously you know you mentioned the the sales upturn at Saints what is the what is the goal um I think if Paddy Power is a, a good example of how I like to to work and um, what I'd like to see brands do more of is they in lots of betting companies you get briefs from them and I've had these down the years it's all about acquisitions and signups like we need people we need what you do in PR to help generate signups you know people and um, creating accounts and then depositing money into those accounts which is very difficult to do yeah whereas Paddy Power is like just make noise about our brand and we'll then worry like through advertising mm. or through you know people that we've already got accounts um, set up with we'll worry about the the acquisitions and the depositing of money nice if people are talking about us then we are front of mind especially around those major moments like you know like Ryder Cups or like Grand National or like big football moments if Paddy Power are in the news being talked about uh, on social then you know you're more likely to go and bet with them or open an account with them mm. uh, so it's just a it, it helps you free up that creative thinking yeah absolutely and, and just come up with great ideas really it's like you you do what you do well and we'll 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 do what we do well especially with our partners so yeah definitely sound like the the dream clients in terms of the campaigns but also yeah and the, the practicality so Obviously, amazing time at Mischief, as you've uh, mentioned, in terms of those campaigns and those results. But then comes the dream job, right? <laughs> yeah, um, I, th I think so, pretty much. Um, so I, I got into sport and was just like blown away by that. But very quickly, I was like, oh, right, well, what's my career path for this? Um, I had a couple of friends and contacts who worked at Nike, and I was like, wow, yeah, working at Adidas or Nike would be pretty cool place to, to to get to and something to aim for and yeah about you know two and a half three years into being at mischief i got a phone call out of the blue and it was a guy who worked for adidas out in germany and um, said oh we're looking for a global pr director would it be something you might be interested in and i was like yeah probably would <laughs> <laughs> it sounds all right that. probably <laughs> yeah so um yeah managed, managed to get that move and um, was so, the, so, the, um, so the role was global PR director, right? Which, yeah, exactly. I mean, sounds incredible. <laughs> when you say it out loud, global PR director for Adidas, that must have been amazing. Yeah, it was. Um, it was pretty, pretty good. Um, it's a, a major, like a step up and, and change from being in an agency. Mm. I'm going to work for a, a, a global company and having a, a global role. Um, also, you know, major change lifestyle. You're moving from London to a village, pretty much out in Germany. Um, but yeah, absolutely incredible experience. Um, and the the kind of work that you get to do 
the kind of people that you get to work with, both in terms of talent on the rosters, but also um, members of staff within the family is, is just incredible. And, um, yeah, I always like to challenge myself and want to push on to the next thing. And that really helped me, um, you know, do exactly that. Um, again, it's not just a, a role that was focused on football or indeed sport. You've got Adidas Originals as, as part of that brief. Um, as well, so you're moving into fashion and lifestyle type um, space, um, but also it's just it was really interesting. It, it comes with its challenges being in the global role um, because you've got to think about stuff on a global level rather yeah. than just a market specific level. Mm. Um, but it it really makes you um, learn very quickly and and you know, coming out of it think very differently in terms of how you approach briefs or work or, or whatever it may be. So in terms of like, you know, everybody always talks about, especially in agency world, that, you know, going client side is, um, is you know, on, and sometimes obviously completely different, but sometimes the, the dream because it's less, less chaotic, less pressure. Was it, was it a big change for you? Yeah. Um, I, I think the, one of the biggest changes, something I had to get used to very quickly was, um, again, being global is like your phone never stops because as one market is coming to an end, another one's waking up. So, you know, I, I quickly realised that, you know, uh, early in my day, it was kind of European markets, especially UK market was very important, um, would would be very hectic. And then towards the end of the day, the um, New York and Portland bases would start to get very busy. So you kind of just have to ensure that you've got, time in your day to, to deal with people in both of those markets and then again it kind of is I guess the best way of explaining it would be it's like a quarterbacking role all of the knowledge and the news and the products is coming out of HQ and I've got to take on disseminating that throughout um, the various key cities and, and regions um, and then also you know working on the major events that you would class as global events again World Cups Olympics Paralympics etc because you you were involved in the Rio Olympics, right? Twenty sixteen. Yeah. So on from London over to Rio, that's that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, this is great. I was, I was delighted that that would um, be part of my remit, having been part of London twenty twelve and enjoying that so much, and another incredible experience. Eight nine weeks out in Rio is not a bad gig. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we weren't the official partner for the first time in decades. Yeah. Um, still that was a strategic move by you right uh yeah (laughs) again kind of i I like being in that challenger mentality and mindset it makes you work harder Mm. Um, and you know nike are there as as number one still are gaps closed a hell of a lot but it just focuses your mind and your thinking a little bit more and that's when perhaps you can come up with, with better ideas and campaigns i can imagine so I suppose with Nike being kind of distracted, does that mean you could do more, I suppose, like, you know, guerrilla stuff or, um, you know, be what, what kind of what kind of activations were you doing that were different? And I suppose what what Nike, whilst they had the, you know, they had the reins on them, what, what were you doing? Yeah, well, um, we were uh, we were quite fortunate. We were just at the, the start, really, of kind of influences and their importance Um and before too many reg- rules and regulations came in around what they can and can't do. So whereas you know, Nike are official partner and they're probably a bit distracted by having to execute the assets that they've paid huge amounts of money for, 
we actually built an influencer program that allowed us to tell the story of the games and the Rio experience through people that were more directly linked to the consumer. Mm. Um, I guess you know, a typical Adidas or Nike consumer probably isn't really that interested by the Olympic Games, as, yeah. as crazy as that sounds. Um, but you know, yeah, through a team of about I don't know, 15 or 20 different influencers that we had over a three or four week diff- uh, period, mm. um, we were able to do some really cool and interesting stuff that generated eyeballs in a, in a different way to traditional news media and um, really, yeah, made the most of what was becoming quite a big thing at the time and has obviously gone on to be even more important for PR and comms. Definitely. And in terms of the, in terms of the lifestyle um, change, so because, you know, obviously we, we talked quite a lot whilst you were out there and obviously Nuremberg was a massive change for you. Was that, how, how like, you know, massive was that? Yeah, it was, it was pretty big. Um, you know, Nuremberg is a bit of a bubble because you've got, um, Adidas HQ, Puma HQ, obviously across Opp- the road. Opposite sides of the river, right? Yeah. Um, and then Siemens Global HQ as well. So you've got a lot of expats out there. Mm. So the, you were in this kind of weird world where most people spoke English. Um, and the Germans, uh, thankfully, liked speaking English as well. Yeah. Um, be that a coffee shop or um, you know, HQ was mm. uh, English first business. Um, so yeah, I mean, language wasn't a huge issue, but still felt a bit of an issue. You can't just have conversations with with people in the coffee shop or anything like that. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, Nuremberg's a, a town. Yeah, um, it's it's not like um, what you have in London. There's not as much to do, and yes, the the job came with a lot of travelling around. Mm. Um, but I guess it's just I think I've always, as I said, like to challenge myself and kind of need cultural and creativity around me yeah. in order to learn and um, have you know, fresh ideas and, and keep thinking in, in a fresh way and kind of felt like I was lacking that a bit in terms of where I was living, certainly not in terms of where I was working. Um, but obviously you, you miss your family and your friends, you miss your football club. Listening on the radio every week rather than getting to go to games is a bit of a, a struggle at times. Yeah. Um, so do you so, think yeah, um, a cultural shift? Yeah. So do you think obviously you were almost two years at Adidas? Do you think you would have been there longer had it been in London, maybe? Or oh, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. If the role had yeah, been based out of London or New York or Amsterdam, um, then yeah, I definitely would have, would have stayed on for longer. But it just you know it, it came to a point where there wasn't a major sporting event. Or anything like you know, major um, things happening with a brand for probably a good twelve to eighteen months, and I just took the decision that I'm I'm not going to hang around for for that next big thing to happen when I've got to balance off the the life aspect of it as well. Yeah, um, I would have loved to have moved within the business, but it just wasn't the the right kind of role for me to move into. Yeah, so yeah, moved on. Fair enough, and that that move was a big one. So yeah, I suppose interesting for for myself and uh, the, the group of friends that we do watch football with. You uh, you then followed your heart and took up head of marketing at Nottingham Forest. So obviously, you know, to to the majority of people listening to this or that were aware of the move that weren't Nottingham Forest fans are thinking, you know, from an outsider, you've gone from global 
PR director at Adidas, um, obviously world-renowned, to Nottingham Forest, who obviously world-renowned as well, but not, you know, championship club, obviously head of marketing, great role. Tell us us about, you know, that transition and also, yeah, I suppose what what went through your mind and how it all came about. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I guess to people listening, they might think it was a bit of an odd move and might have thought it was a bit more of a heart than a head move. But um, as I said, I'd got into sports PR and had this dream, aspiration, goal to, to go and work for Adidas or Nike. And I achieved it. And you know, in a in a pretty senior role um, within the organisation, so I was a bit like, well, where do I go from here? Because I can just move from one PR role to another, but I kind of, in a way, hit a ceiling. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to broaden my skill set and become a bit more diverse with what I done I could do. And certainly, having worked at Adidas, I felt like I had a, a far greater understanding of the marketing mix. Um, you know, worked very closely with the social team, um, worked very closely with the brand team at Adidas, big part of my role was kind of brand guardian, ensuring we were staying on brand. So, you know, had a, a feeling that I'd, I'd broadened my skill set, and if I could find a role to help bring that to life, um, then, then great, and it would help me with the future. And the role at Forest came up, the club had just gone through a takeover, and it kind of felt like it was a good time to go and try and do something because to, it was at rock bottom. Won't bore people with all of the details, but we'd had a very poor previous owner. Yeah, um, The club had been run very badly. Um, and from a marketing perspective, I was looking at it being, well, it needs a whole like brand overhaul. Yeah. Because, you know, A, it's on its, on its knees. Um, it's, you know, brand equity has, has dropped even within the fan base, but certainly external to the fan base. Um, the, but then, you know, simple things like the look and feel was all over the place. Yeah. So again, like a good opportunity. Um, but then, you know, again, just easy, the opportunity for easy wins as well. You know, season ticket sales were at an all-time low. Yeah. Um, and so the chance to turn those kind of things around, it felt like, you know, a good challenge and it's a brand that I know and love. So... I, I felt like I'd be the right person to go and do it. And I don't think you can underestimate the importance of knowledge um, when it comes to you know, these marketing and, and brand. And so, yeah, it felt like a, a good opportunity for me to go in and, and do something. And, yeah, we, we did. It didn't um, last as long as perhaps I wanted it to. Um, but, you know, without the club getting promoted to the Premier League, it was always going to be difficult for them to keep me on um, and my value be of use to, to what the club was doing um, but you know we, we did a whole um, brand identity um, piece of work actually kind of established some um, values that the club stood for other than just Brian Clough and winning European Cups um, we did a whole brand redesign tidied up city ground that had become just a mishmash of well, I think uh, one of the stories I love telling, there was 14 different versions of the logo in and around <laughs> oh, the ground itself. <laughs> that is a brand <laughs> nightmare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, including my favourite was, and there's a version of the, the logo with two stars for the two European Cup wins above the, the tree and two stars below the tree. And yeah. someone along the way had decided that it, it, if two stars above the tree was for players, 
and two stars below the tree was for fans. To which I said, well, that's like Apple inverting the Apple um, wow. for a consumer product or for you know, something they do internally. So, you know, just it was it was nice to have that as a project to tidy up my football club, make mm. it look yeah. um, better. And, um, and then, as, as I mentioned as well, it was a real big focus on trying to get um, a bit of love back into the, the club after the takeover and get people in the ground because we knew if we could achieve that, that could help. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of on the pitch as well, and, you know, we went from 12,000 season tickets sales to 22,000 yeah. in the year that crazy, I, I left. Crazy amount. But, yeah, good project. Um, not sure necessarily if I'd work for a football club again. <laughs> I like being a fan too much. Yeah, of course. And like, so, you know, obviously you, you made... You, you made a gamble going to work for Forrest and they, they took a gamble on you to an extent as well because obviously yeah. the seniority of the role and you moving in there and obviously, you know, um, as, as you touched on very briefly that it kind of uh, was cut shorter than what you'd, you'd expected. Do, do you regret the move or? Um, no, um, you know, I think, I think it was a, um, well, I, I never re- would regret a move because I th- I think everything you do helps you move into what you do in the future, whether it's a good or a bad experience. Um, but it did really help me um, broaden out my skill set, um, which is now you know, very useful for me in terms of what I can offer to people. Um, but yeah, also, as I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on shortly, it kind of brought me back to Nottingham, um, which again might feel like a strange move for people, but um, I do... Uh, feel quite passionately about my city and now working on projects that hopefully are going to help transform the city um, is you know, a great opportunity for me. Amazing. So I think that brings us on nicely to, to now. So obviously, you know, you, you, you moved on from Forest and now you're kind of in this consultancy role, would you call it? Um, obviously yeah. working in different different areas. What what are you up to then? Because, um, yeah, it's yeah. Pretty, pretty pretty interesting, exciting time for you. What's going on? So. Um, yeah, I think I would describe it as consultancy freelance, whatever people want to do. Um, I guess it's, it's something I had considered pre prior to going to Adidas and then also after Adidas, um, but I didn't quite feel that the time was right. Um, and I enjoyed um, working for people and having that safety net. But um, this, this felt like a good opportunity to challenge myself and see if I could do consultancy stuff, again, having built up the, the skills and the work that I'd done in the past and so you know got got stuck into it and used you know some of the, the close contacts that I had to find work in you know in the um, immediate um, period after I'd moved on from Forest and um, was you know able to stay doing stuff in sport which was great but also was you know happy to take on non-sport um, clients I find it's important to try and do different things in order to learn different ways of absolutely creating campaigns so you know, got involved with various different projects and then that's kind of gone through to now working on um, a couple of um, potentially very exciting things around rejuvenating the cultural and creative um, focus of, of the city of Nottingham and um, in the next couple of weeks we're, we're going to be announcing a, a major project um, that is going to hopefully really put Nottingham back on the map. Um, but then also, you're yeah, working with 
um, agencies in, in Nottingham as well. There's a couple of really good agencies. Um, one that's sport-focused, May Sport, brilliant. You know, they're doing the kind of work that you'd expect out of London agencies, but it's in Nottingham. I'm really enjoying working with them, kind of back into the sports PR, PR um, heartland that I, I grew up in. Um, and I think the world that we've experienced in recent weeks and months is going to see a big shift of, of brands um, behaving a little bit differently and perhaps not so much of a focus on um, big London agencies and working with smaller, more nimble agencies that might be based in Nottingham as, as well as London. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll sing from that hymn sheet all, all day long. Um, yeah, in terms of, I think, you know, it's it's clear from, you know, all the work that you've done and you've been doing in terms of, yeah, challenging is super important to you. But, you know, you've mentioned a few times how, um, you know, you, you need to keep it fresh and you need variety in order to create create amazing work. Um, and, you know, on a personal journey as well, do do things differently, which, you know, we're, we're certainly all about. And I think, you know, we've, We've had that in common for for quite a while as well, but you know, for you know, looking back at everything you've just talked about and you know your career so far, obviously you've achieved a hell of a lot, and you're still in your thirties, just. Um, <laughs> and like, what what would be your advice to someone that's you know is either working in PR, thinking you know that. I want to work for Adidas. I want to work for my football team. You know, in in agencies as well. What what is your your nugget of, of advice for them? Because um, yeah, as I said, so much achieved in such a short time. I think um, for me, just continuing to learn. Like never rest on your laurels of thinking, you oh, know, I've done it now. I've achieved it because you haven't. Because you know, certainly, you know, PR has fundamentally changed in recent years, and I think in the, in the coming years it's going to shift again massively like looking back at when I first started out um, at pitch you know the likes of Zoo and Nuts and mm. the Lads Mags oh, were God. massive <laughs> you know, and now they don't exist for yeah. you know, obvious and, and good reasons um, but even like in the in modern day you know we're, we're working on stuff at Maysport where it's well Really, I mean, would we go to the sun with that, or are we better off working with you know, a more digital first media outlet, or indeed, are we better off going to working with an, an influencer with that? And so, I think it's important that you carry on learning um, as much as you can and evolving um, the way that you you approach stuff and the, the thinking that you have. Um, and like I touched on as well, it's just like think more broadly than the sector you're in. Yeah. Uh, I think if I just focused on sport and read sports media and sports books and listened to sports podcasts, then I'd just become so niche and it's, it's then difficult to broaden out. Um, and there's so much great creativity out there in the world, um, sometimes in the most unexpected places. But I think that would be my, my nugget of um, yeah, learning to people is just yeah, keep keep challenging yourself, keep learning new things, keep exploring new ways of, of being creative. Yeah, absolutely, and I'd, I'd echo that to agencies as well. From my perspective, I think it's you know we Tom and I started Love Gun with the motivation of not being sector specific because we just can't understand why you would be, and and I think brands are often guilty of falling into falling into a niche thinking you know oh well that agency have done it before they they can do it again it's like actually if 
if you're not sector specific specific and you know you are thinking differently then you're gonna you're gonna be much better than the rest and that is super important message to to all to one and all i think and i suppose looking back at um you know what you've done where you've been either in you know at pitch or mischief or adidas or um or forest or you know what you're doing now is that has, has there been a moment where it's like you know either a big lesson for you either a you know a mistake you've made or you know there was a moment where you thought actually like this this is incredible you know what what i've done where i've gone was there one moment that sticks out above the rest oh um put you on the spot any mistakes um <laughs> I, I think yeah there's been a, certainly a number of moments um, where I'm just like, wow, I mean, this is ridiculous. And if I could go back and have a chat with 12-year-old, 15-year-old me and say, you're going to be doing a photo shoot with Leo Messi um, in Barcelona, then probably, you know, wouldn't have believed that that would be possible. And <laughs> I've got a, a number of framed photos of things that I've done. Yeah. Um, yeah events that I worked at, so there's one of... The opening ceremony from from London 2012. Um, there's one of a um, football match that we staged in the garden of Buckingham Palace for the FA's 150th anniversary. So there's been things like that where you just look at it and kind of think this is nuts, like mm. just incredible that we've managed to pull this off, and incredible for me personally that I've managed to work on that thing. Um, I think there's there's probably things I look back on and go wasn't the best idea um, <laughs> always the way uh, but you've got, you've got to have you know some some bad ideas to, to again as i said learn from it and um, make sure you, you have better ideas in the future no idea is a bad idea bristow don't forget that <laughs> Mate, thank you so much for the chat honestly like as i said your, your journey has been fascinating and you're uh you're only you're not even halfway through so super super uh interesting and thanks again for coming on with all of these uh these podcasts we like to end you know we've been focusing on you we're bored of it we've had enough uh shout out to anyone a big up to anyone over the last week or the last you know few months or any but anything that you want to give a shout out um go for it uh so um yeah it's a very timely one given that we are recording this on the day that uh, marcus rashford actually managed to get um parliament to change their approach to free school meals over over the summer and coming weeks and months but so yeah my my, my shout out to is to, to Marcus Rashford for what he's managed to achieve. Um, but also I think it's a really, really good example to people of the best ideas are the simple ones. So it's not been a, you know, a multifaceted, multi-layered campaign. He set out with an ambition to try and achieve something. And in essence, he's achieved it through writing a letter, which again is another, um, you know, really important thing that people can, remember and, and learn from is simple letter and how powerful it can be um it you know, wasn't a crazy video or anything that had to get loads of uh, views or shared around it was just a letter it was just a really simple idea to try and achieve something that was you know hugely important um and i think the work that he's done and obviously i'm sure there's a, a team around him that have helped to execute it um, has, has been absolutely superb so that's my, my shout out Marcus Rashford well done sir
Absolutely, and uh, yeah, I think as well, it's it's not so much noise, more actions as well. And he's yeah, as you said, simple simple action. He's done it, and uh, yeah, what a what a thing to do. So definitely, Marcus Rashford, what a legend. Simon Bristow, what a legend. Thanks again, mate. Thanks, mate. Take care. You've been listening to FYI, the podcast featuring the biggest challenges in business and marketing. FYI was brought to you by Love Gun, an award-winning branding and design agency based in London. Subscribe, follow and share on Apple Podcasts or Spotify for plenty more where this came from.